Good evening. It's great to uh, see each one of you out, and uh, also for those online, uh, Heritage Memorial Church in Washington Courthouse is going to have their Wednesday night service, and they're going to be watching online. Uh, I love that, except they can see us, but they we can't see them. Uh, there is a gentleman here that his name is Edgel Fairchild. Where is he located? Stand up. Your brother got saved at 90 years old. Isn't that something? Wow. Amen. And he, he said of the 11 children in the family, they're all saved now. And his wife got saved just a few days before she passed. Two days. That is exciting. I tell you what, that, that is just amazing to think about. I mean, they talk about the time when, you know, certain percentage gets saved and finally way back until it's almost, thank you, sir. Pardon me. Yeah, he said, he said his brother's been reading the Bible and praising God. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, I tell you what, God's still in the saving and sanctifying business. And uh, by the way, his brother's name is Howard. At this time, Dr. David O is going to come and uh, share with us the missionary that uh, I, I shared this last night. I said, Missions, My Missions Mighty Moment, MMM. And that's what we did at Heritage. So this is Missions Mighty Moment. Well, thank you, Brother Joe. Happy to be here for a Missions Mighty Moment tonight. The person standing in front of us is no stranger. He has uh, been involved in missions for more than 40 years. He's currently on special assignment, leading work teams and projects around the world, including in places that we can't even talk about tonight because they're so high security and top secret. In addition to his service, though, and his following God's call in his life, he has left a legacy and heritage of service as his children and grandchildren now continue to serve on the field as well. Will you join me tonight in welcoming Butch Jenkins? Thanks, Dave. I guess I should apologize to any of you who heard this amount of praise, but you know some things are just good enough to repeat, right? You ever use a sermon twice, Tom? There you go. So I'm good. <laughs> Oh, you know, the Bible tells us in Luke and Matthew that the harvest is ripe, and we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. I want to tell you about the greatest prayer I know that raised up workers. This is a letter that my dad wrote sometime, I don't know when, some years back, obviously, and uh, my sister just gave it to me about six months ago, and I didn't know anything about this until then. And he wrote, August 19, 1978, which would have been his birthday, so maybe that's how he remembered the date, I'm not sure. Reverend R.G. Flexen had just preached a stirring missionary message. Then he said, that was at the old Mount of Praise, the Saturday afternoon mission service. Some of you remember those. He said, how many of you young people would come around the altar for prayer? The altar was lined with a great number of young people. The older people knelt behind them. And we, but as we prayed, Butch was on my heart. He was working for somebody that day, 
had kept him out of the services. I wanted him to hear that message. So I prayed for him specifically. God did the rest. Sometime later, called Butch's family to the mission work to God be the glory. You know, at that time, I had no idea that I was ever going to be a missionary. It had never crossed my mind. And, uh, but it was only five months later I was on a work team in Papua New Guinea. Now that meant, you know, you don't go to New Guinea quick, so that means that just a month or so after that, the fellow had to ask me to go to New Guinea with him. Isn't that awesome? We're to pray. We have to pray. And we have to pray diligently. By my count now, <laughs> of course, God called me to missions through that. And, um, of course, my wife went along with me. We've been married 48 years today. And I'll tell you what, that woman is a saint. She has put up with me that long. But I feel, I believe that because we were called and on the mission field raising our children, that they were called as well. So by my count, so far, there's been eight missionaries call, called because of that prayer. I'll tell you, folks, we've got to get serious enough to pray that our kids will get called. It's easy to pray for your kids that they'll get called and go halfway around the world. We've got to get serious enough that it's our kids. And then I think God will hear and we'll have workers. Thank you. Hey Amen. If you'd like to talk to Butch, he'll be around after the service, as will many of our missionaries over here on the side. And let me just say quickly the same thing that I said Sunday night during our missions rally, which is that for a period of time during COVID, work teams were paused. 100% of new missionaries through World Gospel Mission have been on a short-term missions trip over the last 10 years that they've been called to missions. Short-term trips are the funnel for us to have new missionaries called. If you've never been on a short-term missions trip and you want to join one, Butch is leading teams, others are leading teams, you talk to him after, and we'll make sure you get all the information. Thank you. David, just a moment. How much is the missionary offering at the Kid Power? Yes, we are so thankful to all who have given individually in all of the churches. We had a goal of $2,500 during our mission service. We got more than $7,000 that evening. We had a goal overall for our district of $28,000 this year. And right now, and we know there are still churches who need to report, we have more than $32,000 in hand for our, for our Kid Power offering. So we praise God for what he is doing. Thank you so much. Amen. That's exciting. Uh, I think uh, Reverend, Ho Reverend uh, Tipton said that it's probably the most that West Central G District has given in a decade. So we want to thank you for that. Well, again tonight, it's great honor and privilege to have with us as a singer, Reverend Mark Murphy. I tell you, he, he hails from Muncie, Indiana. And a uh, great, great singer. And then Dr. Hermes is here with us, and uh, he brought a great message last night. Uh, you didn't use all your strength, did you? No? <laughs> He's ready to go. All right. And so, but we just thank God for him. And uh, also, over here, there's going to be some uh, tapes of you, or not tapes now, what are they called? CDs and USB. CDs. And then right here is some uh, for Reverend uh, Murphy. It's uh, some photography, 
that he's selling, as well as CDs as well with his music. So, uh, and then, of course, it's so good to have Goldie here with us and uh, play the piano. So we're just, uh, we're looking forward to a great night. Amen? I, I just believe that uh, tonight God's Holy Spirit's going to move, that it's going to be through the music. He's going to move through the music. He's going to move through the preaching of the word. And, and uh, we just want to be open to what God does. Amen? I just, just ask you a question. Would you just say, whatever God asks me to do, I will do. I mean, this is exciting. When Butch talked about the fact that his, his dad wrote about praying for Butch and how God has moved, I just believe that that is just the type of thing God's doing. Amen? You know, he's... 1978, he did it. He's still doing it now. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the men that are coming here to minister to us. For those that are being obedient to you, may we just let you touch our lives. May we rejoice and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Yes. Let's stand together and sing the good old hymn, Victory in Jesus. All right. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me precious blood Precious blood revealed. 
is a very important verse it says would you do service for Jesus your king there's power in can't do it on your own power in the blood would you live daily his praises to sing there's wonderful power in the blood well there is back on you. It's an awful thing to do. <laughs> and you may be seated. I love this song. Let's sing this together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, 
stand and sing it. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns unending love, amazing Pastor Jonathan Barker would come and lead us in prayer. I've known Jonathan since he was uh, a uh, little, little guy. And I tell you what, he was the most intense basketball player I ever saw in my life. He would dive for balls. I mean, he would steal the ball from other players. He, he was just intense. I believe that God has just overlaid that intensity for his preaching, for his seeing people saved, and just thank God for Pastor Jonathan as he leads us in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. So Father, we are thankful for another night where we can come together in this place. God, I think of the message that Pastor Tom brought for us last night, that we would, we would desperately seek a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We know you can do it anywhere, anytime, any place you want to if we're just calling upon your name. And so, Lord, we pray that that's something that we would see take place in this place tonight. 
Lord, we pray for Dr. Hermes' strength tonight, Lord, that you would empower him to speak to us throughout this week. God, that you would embolden us with the witness of the Holy Spirit so that we might share the gospel with everyone whom we come into contact with. Lord, there's so many of us in this place tonight that have been in a thousand services like this. What if we were still willing to say, God, what would you have me to change? God, what would you have me to do? I'm sure if we don't like the way things are going, God, that you want us to do something different. So whatever that is in our life tonight, would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to that area of our life? And then give us the courage and the humility, God, to just simply obey and to seek transformation. God, we ask for your continued presence throughout this evening and throughout this week, and we will ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to receive our offering tonight, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you want to give and uh, you're willing to give. And so let our ushers come forward at this time. And uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have given to us. May we give to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Country church, not all that far from town. Revival services were announced and many came from all around. For the first time, a poor boy stood nearby, afraid to come in until he saw a schoolmate. It was his best friend. Come on, he said, you can sit with me. And he introduced the boy to his family. Well, the service began with victory in Jesus, and what a friend. Why, the people sang so loud it made the old church bell ring. And then the preacher said, it's time to thank the Lord with our offering. This little boy had nothing to give, and when the usher laid the plate in the boy's hand, it looked so big. Sadly, he had to pass it along while to himself he began to sing this song. What can I give a king, creator of everything? What can a child like me bring to this king oh my well the next night the little boy came again 
And though it was cloudy and it began to rain, this boy had a smile that was wide as his face because he had himself a plan. It was offering time again, and when the usher laid the plate in the boy's hand, he held on to it and then slowly placed it on the floor and then whispered a prayer to the Lord. A holy hush came on the scene. All eyes were on the boy. What could this mean? And to their surprise, the boy stepped into the plate. And as if looking toward heaven, began to sing, I give me, I give me, I give me. Give me all that I was, all that I am, and all I'll be. I give me, that's what I'll bring. Not just a part, but all I am, and all I'll be. I give me. Well, the usher who stood there began to cry. For in that moment, he too realized he was poor, but in his spirit, he had drifted from the king. He ran to the altar with a broken heart. He too began to sing, I give me. The choir stood on their feet and like a roar of angels' wings began to sing, Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah to the king. Revival came like it never had been. The altar was lined from end to end. You could hear the people crying. You could hear the people shouting you could hear the people sing I give me I give me all that I was all that I am and all I'll be I give me that's what I'll bring not just a part but all I am and all I'll be I give me so I ask you on this beautiful hot summer day, when our preacher preaches, when I ask you, are you poor in your spirit? Why, child, you need this king, maybe, just maybe, like this little boy you'll sing. I give me. I give me all that I was, all that I am, and all I'll be. I give me, that's what I'll bring, not just a part, but all I am and all I'll be. I give me, I give me, not just a part, but all I am and all I'll be, I give me, that's what I'll bring, I give me.
Say it with me. I give. Thank you, Mark, for that powerful message and song. And uh, how wonderful it is to see each of you here tonight in spite of the gasoline prices. I guess you figured if you could go to Walmart or to Kroger's, you could come to church. And um, let me just say to all those that are watching on live stream, welcome. Uh, we're delighted that you can participate in the service. But as our district superintendent said, we miss you. And uh, we'd love to see your faces and have you here. But uh, I do know the congregation over at Washington Courthouse, they're beaming it into the sanctuary tonight. Maybe there are other churches doing that, and I know there are people all over the United States that are watching these services, and we thank God for the extension of ministry that goes beyond these four walls. Well, it's great to be back tonight, and um, I feel a little bit better tonight than I did last night, and so I thank God for that, and thank you for your prayers. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Ephesians and chapter 4 for our Scripture reading. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 31 and 32. If you're able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. As we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That very first phrase, let all bitterness be put away from you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated for the message. Her name was Naomi. She was a widow. In fact, she had buried her husband and both of her sons in a 10-year span. It was one devastating loss after another. It's obvious she had become a very bitter woman. For in a conversation with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she said, it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And in that same conversation with her daughter-in-law, she said, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She blamed God for taking away her husband and her two sons. In fact, five times in three verses, she holds God accountable for her bitterness. And you can read that entire story in the book of Ruth. And there are so many in our world today, just like Naomi, who have become very, very angry. And they're very angry with God. They, and it seems, it almost seems as if they enjoy their bitterness. They feed on it. They derive some kind of negative energy from it. It's so much a part of the fiber and fabric of their being, they would hardly know how to live without it. And what's even worse, they feel like they have a right to be bitter. 
Life has been unfair. Life has been unkind. Life has been cruel. And they feel if there's anyone on the planet that has a right to be bitter, it would be themselves. Their bitterness pervades everything they do. You see it in their faces and in their eyes. You hear it in their laughter and in their conversation. It literally contaminates their whole life. They're totally consumed with their bitterness. Life has been tough. Life has been difficult, filled with disappointment and rejection and abuse. Paul said, get rid of all bitterness and be kind, compassionate, and tender-hearted. And I would submit to you that you cannot have bitterness in your heart and be kind, compassionate, and tender-hearted over the long haul. They simply will not mix in the same heart. Bitterness will infect and affect everything that you do. Bitterness usually begins when someone hurts us, wrongs us in some way, when we have been rejected, abused, violated, bullied, or treated unfairly. And we're never any more vulnerable to bitterness than when we're hurting. And you're not going to live on this planet very long for very many years without picking up some bumps and some bruises and having some pain and great disappointment and rejection in your life. So there are times, there are moments when probably every one of us have to deal with this issue of bitterness. There's a very human tendency that whenever we have been hurt in some way, that we want to wallow just a little bit in self-pity. And we begin to play that game. Why me? This isn't fair. What did I ever do to deserve this? This isn't right. But listen, friends, we simply cannot allow ourselves to indulge very long in bitterness because it's just one little step from self-pity into resentment into full-blown bitterness. And so when the hurts and the bumps and the bruises and the heartaches of life come our way, we have to deal with it quickly or it will absolutely eat us alive. Bitterness is almost always based on something that someone does to us. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, it's someone very close to us. In fact, the closer a person is to you, the greater the potential becomes for bitterness if they should hurt you in some way. I was just getting ready to board one of those big jets in the Chicago O'Hare Airport a few years ago, and I was going to fly up over the top to Tokyo, Japan. I was just starting down the ramp when it suddenly dawned on me that the book I was going to read on that long flight, I had thrown it in my suitcase and checked my suitcase in, and I had nothing to read on that long flight. I knew I would go stark, raving mad. I took off on a mad dash down the hallway to the junk, I mean the bookstore, to see if I could find something to read on that long flight. I walked through the door of the bookstore. And there was a huge poster of Jim Baker. You all remember Jim Baker, PTL infamy? In fact, some of you may feel like he, he still owes you some money. I don't know. But anyway, there was his book that he wrote after he got out of prison entitled, I Was Wrong. 
I paid way too much for it, but I bought it, and I read it on that long flight. And if you have read that book, or if you have heard him give his testimony since coming out of prison, you'll remember that he writes very candidly, very openly, about one 15-minute sexual affair with a church secretary by the name of Jessica Hahn. He said, when I went into that hotel room, I knew what I was about to do was sin. But he said, I justified it on the basis that I had just learned that my wife had had a long-running affair with a family friend, and it was not the first affair that she had had. And he said, as I walked through that door, I thought, I deserve this. Look what she did to me. Look at the way she treated me. And maybe if I do this and she finds out about it and sees how much it will hurt, maybe she won't do it again and it'll save our marriage. What a liar the devil is. Adultery never saves marriages. It simply makes it that much more difficult to regain trust in one another and to rebuild a broken relationship. And one of the things I've observed over these. And by the way, thank God for God's grace in Jim Baker's life and that he has indeed, his life has been transformed. We thank God for that. But the reality is, one of the things I observed over the years, that oftentimes when there's moral failure in the life of a church leader, oftentimes it's in the life of someone who's been deeply wounded and they've never adequately dealt with the bitterness. And when the devil put his big guns on them, they were weak on the inside and they yielded to the temptation and committed sin and brought disgrace on themselves and on the work of the kingdom. Oh, we usually tell ourselves we have a right to be bitter because of the way somebody treated us or what somebody did to us. I like Paul's advice. He said, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness. The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defiles many. In that passage, bitterness is described as a root that can spring up and defile many. And you watch this over the years. You get one bitter person in your family or at the office or at the factory, or at the school. You get one bitter person in your church. It will go through a group like wildfire. As they begin to spew out their bitterness, it spreads and defiles many. I've had a lot of people tell me over the years they're not hurting anybody with their bitterness. But the reality is, undoubtedly, they are, and probably they're the people they love the most the people that are closest to them, and the people that they really need. I remember when our daughter Karen died very suddenly at age 22 with meningitis. One of the prayers that we prayed many, many times during those days was that God would guard our hearts and protect us from bitterness and from playing the blame game. There would have been a lot of blame to go around, but we asked God to just deliver us from that. And there were several reasons we prayed that prayer. 
One of the reasons is because there's an extremely high rate of divorce among parents that bury a child. Within one year of the burial of a child, the death, the divorce rate is frightening. And we didn't want that to happen. We also recognize that bitterness is sin. And if that was allowed in our hearts and in our lives, it would ruin our ministry, and we didn't want that to happen. But I have to tell you, there was a third and compelling reason we prayed that prayer, and that was we observed very quickly how closely our other kids were watching us. We heard them saying to their friends what they heard us saying to our friends, and we knew that if we allowed bitterness in our heart or began to play the blame game, we very well could lose our kids to the kingdom and to the church. And ladies and gentlemen, that's way too a higher price to pay. To wallow around in self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself, blaming this person and that person and the other thing, rather than simply turning it over to God and leaving it in his hands. Bitterness is a root that springs up and defiles many. If you keep bitterness bottled up on the inside, you're going to experience both physical and emotional sickness. It's like a cancer. It's like poison. It will absolutely eat you alive. Now, some secular psychologists, not all of them, but some of them may tell you, whatever you do, don't bottle it up. If you've been hurt, if you've been offended, don't bottle it up. In fact, if somebody has hurt you, if you have to, go to them and give them a piece of your mind. Well, you know the problem with that is, if you do that too often, you're in big trouble because you lose your mind. So basically, the world has two solutions. Keep it bottled up and get sick or just let it out and spread the defilement around. Thank God the Bible always has a better solution. It says get rid of it. Dig up the root and let God cleanse your heart and fill you with his agape love. And I've come tonight to simply say to you, you can be free from bitterness and from rage and from malice and anger, you can be free from those unholy attitudes. I just closed a revival here in the state of Ohio several years ago, and I was on my way back to our home in Indiana, and I stopped to see my mom and dad in Washington Courthouse. We visited for a while, and if you ever went to my mother's house, you know, you had to eat something. So we had lunch, and I was about to leave, and I remember my dad saying to me, he said, son, I'd just like to share my testimony with you one more time. You know, I'd heard it thousands of times. I said, dad, you know something? I'd like to hear it one more time. And he went through that story of when he was five years old that the Muslim, the Kurd, Kurdish Muslims invaded the village where he was living. His mother and his grandparents, his aunts and his uncles and his cousins, almost everybody he knew in his family was massacred that day for their faith in Christ. And a Muslim soldier picked him up off the street and took him home. And from age five until ten, 
He was passed around from one family to another. In the wonderful providence of God, he made his way with the help of the American Red Cross to the United States and was landed on Ellis Island on New Year's Day and was reunited with his father, who then took him to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. From the age of 10 until 15, he was a ticking time bomb. He was filled with rage and hatred, a trigger temper. He lived for the day when he could get back to the Middle East and find the people that had massacred his family and he could get revenge. You can't treat any little boy like he'd been treated for five years and not turn him into a ticking time bomb. Again, in the wonderful grace and providence of God, he found Jesus when he was 15. And from 15 to 17, he really struggled. He, he didn't have much help, didn't have much guidance. And all those old thoughts and all those old emotions would come flooding back to the surface. And he'd pray and beg God for help. But when he was 17, he was at everybody's mission in downtown Pittsburgh, and he heard the first sermon he'd ever heard in his life on perfect love, on a second work of grace. He sat there on the front row, and he thought, that's exactly what I need. And at the close of the first sermon he'd ever heard in his life on a second work of grace, he hit the altar. And as he was sharing his testimony with me that day, this is what he wanted to say to me. He wanted to say it again, and he wanted me to hear it. And he said, son, I just want to tell you, when I got up from that altar, all that hatred, all that rage, all that revenge, all that animosity, it was gone. One of the best testimonies on a second work of grace you'll ever hear in your life. And he said it to me that day. And then he looked at me and he said, son, never stop preaching a second work of grace because it is the desperate need of the body of Christ. I said, Dad, you've got my word. I never will. I never could. Because I know the reality of God's, not only his saving, but his sanctifying grace. And friend, you can be free. You don't have to go home in bondage. You don't have to go back home and deal with the same old emotions and the, the same rage and animosity. There is deliverance and there is victory. And here's the problem. If you don't get rid of it, it will produce emotional bondage. And your emotions will be frozen. It'll be hard for you to feel love and respond to love and be spontaneous. Why? Because you're stuck. You're mired in some tragic horrible event in your past and you're allowing it to control you and dominate you. Even sometimes the people that have hurt you are dead and buried, but from the grave they're still controlling you and your actions and your reactions. And you'll become an angry person, often depressed, who cannot enjoy the present because you constantly relive and rehash the past. It's sin, and it'll affect your relationship with the Lord. You really can't, you really have to confront it. You can't ignore it, and you have to deal with it. You say, but they did it to me. I didn't ask for it. It wasn't my fault. 
They did it. That's true. But you have the power, the power in Christ to choose your response. And we are responsible for our actions and for our choices. And we can choose to no longer be the victim, but we can choose to be the victor by the grace of God. You say, okay, I'm tired of carrying this yoke around. I'm tired of this bitterness, this hatred, this rage, this blame game. What do I do about it? Well, number one, you've got to admit that you're bitter and recognize that bitterness is sin and repent. That's step number one. Confess it to God and get it under the blood of Jesus. And come to the place by the grace of God where you are ready and willing to forgive the person that's hurt you. You say they don't deserve it. Well, thank God forgiveness is not based on what we deserve. It was based on what we deserve. None of us would be forgiven. None of us would be in the kingdom tonight. God's grace and mercy is, not, is based on, on his grace, his love, his mercy, his blood, and not what we deserve. And by the grace of God, we need to come to the same place. You say, but you don't know what they did to me. And I see the pain, and I hear it in your voice, and I recognize horrific, horrible things happen in our world in these days. But I want you to know we serve a God whose grace is greater than every sin, than every heartache, than every difficult thing you've ever been through. The grace of God is more than sufficient. And there is deliverance and there is victory. And then you need to just turn them over to God. Don't hold them accountable to yourself any longer. Just put them in God's hand. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, were those people forgiven in that moment? I don't believe so. There was no remorse. There was no confession. There was no regret of the cross. They were reveling in the moment. But was that prayer of our Savior ever answered? I have to believe that many of those thousands that were swept into the kingdom after the day of Pentecost, that I have to believe that some of them were some of the very same ones that were guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, for Jesus' sake, forgave them even of crucifying his own son. So you say, okay, how will I know that I'm free from bitterness? Well, one way you'll know is that when you see these people or think about them, your attitude toward them is going to be different. I mean, if you're praying, Lord, bless them, but don't bless them too much. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't deserve it, Lord. I, I don't want them to live in a better house than I live in or drive a better car than I drive or have a better job than I have. No, you still got a problem, and you need to go before God. Another way you'll know is when you're more concerned about what they're doing to themselves than what they did to you. That's a powerful indication that you are now free from bitterness and resentment. I was preaching at the great in Canby, Indiana camp meeting just outside Indianapolis, the Nazarene District Camp. And... Uh, one night, as just as I was about to get up to preach, we'd had a 
a, a storm come through, and we lost all the power. The lights were gone. The PA was gone. Air conditioning was gone. And the Gessners had just finished singing, and it was my turn to walk to the pulpit in the dark. First, a little humor went through my mind. I thought, Hermes, you preach in the dark many times. It's no big deal. Just do it again. But I thought was, well, maybe under the circumstances, I'll just say a few words and have prayer and send them on their way. And if there was ever a moment, and there's been several moments like this in my life, when the voice of God was almost like an audible voice, and I heard him say, preach the sermon. I said, all right, Lord, if you help me, I will. That night I preached to about a 1,000 people in that tabernacle without any PA system. People sitting on the back row told me they could hear every word. There was a holy hush that settled down over that congregation. And here's the amazing thing. Just as I finished preaching, wondering what to do about the invitation, the lights came back on. The guesters began to sing the invitation, and people literally streamed up the aisles. Several of the ministers that were there told me afterwards they lost track when over more than 200 people came forward that night. It was a mighty, mighty move of God. Now the whole front of the church is full. People are praying. I'm walking back and forth across the platform, and I turn around. And there's my oldest daughter, Chris. I had no idea she was there. I never saw her come to the altar. Here's how God works. There was only one person in that audience of about 1,000 people that knew her. And it was one of the pastor's wives that she worked with at Anthem. And she saw her going to the altar, and she said to her husband, there goes Chris, we've got to go pray with her. God used him that night. Chris is our oldest daughter. And she said to me, when I turned and saw her, she said, Dad, if that sermon wasn't for anybody else, it was for me. And I thought, God said, preach the sermon. And I know of all of our kids, she's had more pain, more disappointments, more heartaches, a failed marriage that nearly cost her her life. And when our daughter Karen died, she was so angry. She was so angry with God. And she said, Dad, I'm so mad at God. Karen was the good one. I'm the bad one. He should have taken me. I said, Chris, thank God he didn't. And I held her in my arms, and we sobbed together. And I said, just let it out. God can handle it. And she struggled and wrestled with bitterness. I had no idea she was in the crowd that night. And that night, her life was changed. And I think, what a great God we serve. And as I came to this 
building tonight, I thought only God knows who's here. Only God knows what people here are wrestling with or what people who are watching on live stream, what, what they might be dealing with. God's there just like he's here. And I just wonder if there's somebody here tonight that you have heard the voice of God and he's calling you to come. And as Mark and Goldie come, we're going to open this altar. And I want you to just be obedient to God. It's not the preacher you deal with tonight. It's the spirit of the living God. He's faithful. He's merciful. He understands rejection. He was abused. He was violated. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He understands your pain. He understands the heartache. He understands the despair of it all. And I want you to know he loves you with an unquenchable, undeniable love. And if you'll turn your face toward him, he'll be here to meet you. Let's stand quietly and reverently together now as Mark leads us in the singing of Have Thine Own Way, Lord, and this altar is open. And if God's speaking to you and you're struggling with any unholy attitudes, whatever they might be, I urge you to come. Just step out and bring it to Jesus, for he's all over this place tonight. We have sensed him from the very beginning, and he's here. Have thine own way, Lord. You come as we sing. God bless you. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Yes. Why me, Lord? Why me? What did I do to ever deserve this? Bring it to Jesus. He understands. Let him have his way. While I am waiting, yielded. Another verse, Mark. Will you mind him as we sing? Yes. Have thine own way. Yes. Amen. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your hour. Your obedience will bring the blessing of the Lord. After thy will. Yes. While I am waiting, yielded and still. I want us to sing one more verse. God bless you, my friend. Sing one more verse. If you're coming, come now. This is your time and your moment. God is here to meet your need. It's not too hard for him. He's abundantly able to do exceeding abundant above that which we could even ask or think. Blessed be his name.
yes. While I am waiting, yielded. Yielded and With our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, several are going to gather in here around the altar to pray with this brother who came forward. His mother-in-law watched the service last night on live stream and said, I'm going to church tonight. And he brought her, and God met him here tonight. And God's able to meet his need. I wonder, with our heads bowed for just a moment, would there be anyone that would say by an uplifted hand, pray for me. I'm struggling. Yes, God bless you. I'm wrestling with some unholy attitudes that's affecting my life and my joy and the presence of the Lord. You just lift your hand and by that say, pray for me. God bless you. Appreciate those hands that were lifted. Now, some of you, thank God for these that have come already. If you can gather around the altar to pray, we're going to have a word of prayer. and We're going to believe God to meet this brother's need. And while we pray, you can be seated. Or if you need to go, we understand. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is the living word. It speaks to us right where we live. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for hands that were lifted, and we pray that you'll continue to deal mightily with them. We thank you, Lord, that there are those watching by live stream that are finding an altar right there in their homes or wherever they are. And I pray for this brother that kneels at the altar tonight. You know all about it, Lord, and you love him with an unconditional love. And Jesus died for him. And I pray you'll deliver him from all unholy attitudes, whatever they might be, and give him the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. May your agape love flood his heart until you know the liberty and the freedom that comes in Christ that only you can give. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing right now in his heart and in his life. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 God bless you, my friend. He's right here. He knows all about it. And he cares. Amen. Is he giving you victory? Is he giving you peace? Praise God. He's faithful. He's faithful to us. And thank you for your obedience. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Ask our general superintendent, uh, Reverend Holbrook, to come and close us in prayer. But uh, Benji and Erica Jenkins was at a camp meeting down in Georgia, and their vehicle overheated. They got it to a garage, but a mechanic doesn't come in until nine in the morning. And so we want to pray for. Benji, I say Eric and Benji, since 
they're from this district. Erica's from this district, so we, but uh, she grew up in Washington Courthouse Church, and they're just great missionaries. And are the children with them or just some of the children are with them? So, so let's just pray for them. Let's pray that the mechanic can get things done, that he's honest mechanic, <laughs> so that uh, it would be, well, yeah, it, it could just be uh, uh, whatever. So let's just join our general, general superintendent and pray for them as he closes his prayer. God bless you. Stand together and let's pray. Great message, Dr. Hermes. Thank you. Thank you, God, for that. that soul-searching message. Let us pray. Father, thank you for what our ears have heard, what our heart has felt tonight, and we thank you for that. And as we think of the message, may we all just do some searching in our own heart. Uh, sometimes bitterness is something we don't like to admit. Uh, we don't like to uh, say that that's in our life or whatever, but we just thank you that your Holy Spirit searches us and shows us what we need. And there's other things than bitterness. And we want victory here at this camp. And we just pray that you'll open the hearts and minds of each and every one of us, that uh, you would have your perfect right away. We sang a song earlier, Victory in Jesus. And Lord, we're going to leave tonight, Victory in Jesus. Thank you for those that came and prayed and those that came and sought you. And we believe that they've they're leaving with victory. We pray that those that are also uh, attending here tonight, those watching online, that they're uh, leaving this service victory with victory. Lord, if they do not have that victory, they can find that victory through you. And so, Lord, we thank you so very much for what you have uh, brought us to tonight. We pray for the continuance of this camp, for the strength to continue to come to Dr. Hermes. We pray that you'll minister to um, each one that takes part. Thank you for Mark Murphy, Lord, and for uh, the message that, that he gives us. And Father, may we give us, each and every one of us, uh, to you as well. But Lord, tonight as we close, we do pray for Benji and Erica that you administer to them there as they've gone to camp and now they've had this uh, vehicle problem. Lord, we want to believe that you're protecting them. <laughs> Maybe something happened that, that you're able to protect them, but we do pray that you'll also be able to fix this situation for them at uh, very little cost and uh, hopefully not very much more time. And, Lord, we pray for all of our missionaries. Now, we don't know what uh, they face, and we just ask that you administer to them in, in a powerful way, especially those that are on the field tonight. Uh, they would love to be at a camp meeting service like this, and we just pray for them that you'll minister to them. And, Lord, I just pray that you'll just minister to me, that you'll guide us and direct us, and that you'll show me uh, where I lack, I want to be ev be everything you want me to be, Lord. And uh, may we humble ourselves, each and every one of us, to seek you and to allow you to work in our hearts to be what you would have us to be. Thank you for Brother Duvall. Continue to give him strength here as he leads this camp. And, Lord, may everyone that hears and comes, may they just find that victory and that peace that you can give tonight. Uh, we love you, Lord, but we're reminded that our love comes because you have first loved us. And we... Just thank you for that love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think we're dismissed.